Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. And from Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com slash Pokemon to read a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com slash Pokemon. <laughs> I think yeah, the I'm... last time I was in Boston, I can remember doing this, talking to you about the turtle book, I think, sitting next to that really pretty river in Boston. Oh, I think that was the last time. That's nice. Yeah. Nice to know that mental image. Like Are you looking at anything nice now, John? Any anything that you, is there a mental image you could set for us at all right now? I'm sitting in a basement uh, bedroom, looking at a mirror of my own reflection, doing this. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, like an unpleasant image for us all. It's not. It's not Boston sunset. <laughs> it's no. It's no river in Boston. <laughs> what if three stories of a triangle, a square? and a circle were less about being concept books and more about the exploration of abstract thoughts and ideas. This is the Children's Book Podcast number 494, and I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today, I'm joined by Mac Barnett and John Clausen, the author and illustrator team of many beloved books, including Extra Yarn and Sam and Dave Dig a Hole. Today, we're focusing our attention on three books that are part trilogy and part perspective. Triangle, Square, and now Circle are each stories following story structures informed by their titular shapes. But there's no room here for unearned epiphanies. Answers, after all, are cheap morals, and my guests remind that the goal is the pit, the place devoid of handed-over answers, where instead we must look for meaning. These are books I engaged with in altogether different ways, and I'm grateful for the chance to go on that thought exploration in front of you all, especially, after all, because I found one of these books to be quite polarizing, and I tell as much to our guests. So, on that note, please welcome my guests, Mac Barnett and John Clausen, author and illustrator of Triangle, Square, and now Circle. My name is John Clausen. I am a illustrator, author, probably in that order. I've written three books. Uh, I want my hat back. This is not my hat, and we found a hat. But besides that, I've illustrated, I think, probably something like 15 other ones. Um, 
that's probably too many. That's too high a number. But it would be nice to have done that. Um, <laughs> I've worked with Mac on a number of them. Uh, Sam and Dave dig a hole, extra yarn, the wolf, the duck, and the mouse, and now this uh, trilogy of shapes books that we're going to talk about today. Uh, yeah, my name is Mac Barnett. I'm an author. Pronoun is he. And uh, I write mostly picture books, and I write some novels for kids, too. Yay. So we're here uh, particularly to talk about this shape trilogy that you have going on now that it's it's wrapped up with Circle. Um, but I understand, if I, if I remember reading the article like ages ago, that there's sort of a, an interesting story to how this all came about, right? John, is, is it not that the, the origin sits with you, that, that these, were, these were illustrations first that, that Mac sort of discovered stories for? Is it something like this? Or is this total hearsay? It's uh, sort it's... of, but not. Yeah, John, go ahead. <laughs> I think that the characters um, were images first i don't think that they had any characteristics first i think that um they didn't have any personalities or anything that didn't come until until mac wrote the stories um i, I was interested i think drawing them my interest in drawing them i think came before we started writing the stories and that was um that's a good way to put it right mac uh, yeah i think so i mean they, they you know they weren't even I, you, you could probably even say like they were for a video game Oh, well, that's true. That's true. A long time before, I think I was working on Coraline. That was like 2007. I was making a video game, um, like an in-browser game. They didn't, smartphones weren't around yet. I guess it would have been an app by now, but now it was supposed to be like a sort of a game you play on your browser. And it was these, it was triangles against squares who live on opposite sides of like a big chasm. And it was almost like a lemming style game where you could see the whole world kind of um, in one shot. And they would, you would sort of set how these two teams would fight against each other. But what I liked about it and what I still sort of like about these guys the same way is that you weren't really rooting for one side or the other. They weren't visually predisposed to look good or evil. They were just geometrically different. And it, there was all sorts of puns you could work on that. There was like pyramids that the triangles lived in and their ships had triangle sails and the squares had square sails like Viking ships or something like that. And they had big castles with square battlements. And there's all just all this sort of like riffing you could do off of this preset uh, sort of scenario and um, but it didn't work out I, my programmer moved to South America and vanished and so that idea just sort of sat for a while um, yeah yeah and then um, so John and I started talking about them because uh, you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty reliable guy I'm not going to just haul <laughs> off and move to South America <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah we talked about them they really were characters before they were stories um, we talked about who these shapes were, what their personalities were, what they thought of each other. I mean, it was months of talking about them before we even made uh, the first story about them. They, they existed as, as, as sort of fully formed personalities in our mind before they were characters in a story. I feel like, especially seeing all three of them side by side, um, and I know you've had a lot of time to be in front of readers, in front of librarians, in front of um, children, in front of just all sorts of people interacting with these books. But what I really find myself drawn to most is that these three characters feel so flawed. And the books sort of allow them to to end with with who they are and not, not ending with uh, some sort of perfect way of it working out. We sort of end with the three having 
in interaction with each other. And in that way, the the three friends are something each to the other, but it's not it's not so tidy. And I just always feel like that's something that causes me to think over and over about your characters. Although first I have to admit, when I first read that triangle book, I was like, this dude is a jerk. <laughs> what is wrong though. with this triangle? No, that's right, though. That's right. He is. And, and I think one of my biggest problems are sort of unearned epiphanies, particularly in picture books. Um, a triangle is a jerk. And, and a story in which he completely changes his uh, moral compass, that, that's not how kids are. That's not how adults are. That's not how people work. And um, I think kids who get in trouble a lot when they when they read a book about a character who causes trouble like them, uh, there can be an intense connection. And then when that character on page 29 uh, has a huge epiphany and decides uh, to to like join the scouts, I think that that's really alienating. Um, Nothing against and, the scouts. And unrealistic. <laughs> Love the scouts, first of all. Hope the scouts. Really hope the scouts want to buy just a mass quantity of these books. For all the scouts, <laughs> we love the scouts. Um, no, but 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 uh, Triangle is a jerk, and and tr- that that's that's who Triangle is. I I felt too that um, to have it. So Mac, I, I remember from talking to you before about you working at this summer camp, right? And I think about as I read your books. Ever since we first had that interview, I've I've always thought about how you know your audience and how you know children's voices, right? Um, and especially now that you both are in front of so many going to school visits, this is something that really rang true through these books too. And in in the Triangle book in particular, to have Square end with like, oh, well, that, that's what I was planning all along. Not to spoil an ending for anyone, but to have the character have that, that like, ah, I tricked you. No, 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 this was, this was my plan all along. But then for you, the narrator, to betray your characters and just say, do you really believe him? Um, I felt like sets you squarely on the side of the reader, which is a really, I think a really neat place for us to end up at the, at the end of a book. And John, just for poor, poor square, John in triangle for you to just like (laughs) stick this guy in this difficult position where he has nothing left, but whatever pride he can cling to. Was uh, <laughs> there was a moment there that I think we all see ourselves as a square. I liked ending on that moment because it doesn't, nothing actually changes. Um, we don't get to see Triangle, whether he believes Square or not, or his reaction to that statement from Square. And we don't actually change anything about Square's situation. We just show it again. It's almost the same drawing as we saw two pages before when he gets stuck in the door. We just go back to it. Um, and it's a little smaller on the page, but it's not... Any, anything new and so I really like that we sort of just get to look at that again and say like do you really believe him most kids say no but we haven't really changed anything and we don't get to see what Triangle thinks of that so it is yeah we are on the side of the reader for sure but it is nice that we sort of um, like Max said there's no real change there's no big emotional moment for either of them it's just they're kind of stuck there <laughs> yeah. yeah you can have an emotional arc to a story without you know changing a character's entire uh psychic makeup right there there's a lot of change it's it's there it's a it's a chromatic story in terms of events in terms of the emotions the characters feel but they've got to stay true to who they are as characters you know we got to write about kids as they are not as we as adults want them to be i think that 
We yeah. talk about these guys a lot in terms of like uh, of of like Chuck Jones type characters. Oh, okay. Like we think of Triangle as like sort of like a Daffy Duck type character, and it would be such a ruinous thing if all of a sudden in one of those sketches Daffy Duck sort of like turns around and realizes what a jerk he is. You would never want that to happen. No. Most of the comedy comes out of what you're expecting him to do and what he does end up doing, and so. It's, um, I don't know, I guess you don't see it very often in books because picture books are so short, there's not a lot of time to establish that kind of a personality, but that was sort of the advantage of knowing we were going to hang out with these guys for more than one book, is that we could kind of set that up. Did you approach it, though, with either of you, I mean, it sounds like you were talking about it a lot, but did you approach these three stories all together at once, or did you, was it approach the first story, and then write the second, and then write the third? Because the way that the way that these three characters really are so different um, and, and experience their personality through these, these sort of different events in each of the books um, feels, it, it just feels like it, it, it'll, it, it fits really well. I, I'm like biting my words. Cause I'm like ready to jump into how I am square and how that's really tragic and sad, <laughs> but I want to go on a step first and hear about, about, if if these three were were already planned together the stories no the stories came in succession but it was like you say it was important that that each of the stories um be filtered through the personality and moral universe of the character on the cover um so yeah yeah um so and even even plot wise uh you know like triangle operates it's a triangular structure it's just classic frightic triangle um and circle is chronologically the last to come out but but uh there are hints in there that is the first book uh in in the chronology of the series to come about so there's something circular about it um all of the books are informed by the shape uh the titular shape but but uh uh yeah so john no <laughs> no good we got the shapes that, solid that, that covers it i think yeah. i i i have to go to square because i think that that again in those moments of not seeing this before i love the optimism in that second book of of circle just seeing square to be a genius that square is gathering these square rocks and every day square just gather these rocks and moves them to the top of the hill but circle just affirms what genius she sees in him but he doesn't see it in himself and and she asks if he could sculpt uh, a rock to be like her and his act ends up being really quite brilliant but but even though she affirms that in him he doesn't like he still questions it right your your line at the end, um, but but was he really? After Circle says, "You are a genius," says Circle. But was he really? I mean that that's a bit tragic, and I think because it it's such a big emotion, it's such a big overwhelming emotion to feel like I don't know that I'm really good enough, or that I'm good enough to hang out with these friends, or I don't know if y'all think I'm as smart as you think I am. It's such a strong, like, imposter feeling. And, uh, man, to have that with, <laughs> to be reading that to my six-year-olds, or to my eight or nine or ten-year-olds uh, in the library, and to just feel like, have you been here? This is so sad, but it's okay. <laughs> I do think you're genius. 
know. Uh, we have great talks with kids. That's the most I'm sure, yeah. uh, fun part of this is to, is to uh, get into it with that question. And, and usually uh, kids are divided 50-50 on that one, uh, whether Square's a genius and, and very passionate that, yes, he is. And, and really even more passionate when they think, no, he's not. Uh, but we get into it. We get discussions going with kids as young as five. Um, as, as, like, what is art? How how much does intention come into it? And uh, it's it's amazing to to hear the points they make. They're they're the same points that art theorists have been struggling to make for for centuries. My word! What is art? What is art? John, what is art, Matthew? John, I was going to say, John, we have an artist on the line. John, can you please tell us what is art? <laughs> Mac, you're clearly asking no, the wrong person. I think it brings up a lot of stuff about the same questions. You wonder, um, you wonder. I think that after you've made something, um, if it is well-received and you want to make something else, and if it's not as well-received, you wonder how much ownership you have over the first thing. If you wanted to do, If you wanted to do it again, you couldn't. And it's the same thing with with the square thing. Even if it was, even if he understood at the end of that story what he had done, even if he knew it was accidental and everything, I don't know if he could recreate it. And so, even just that part of the question, if if you are such a genius, let's see you do it again. There's often a feeling after like a project or or writing a story or or illustrating a certain thing that you don't really know how it happened, if, especially if it works really well. You don't really know. You couldn't put that process back together if you were asked to recreate it. And so then you wonder, well, then I do I own any of that then, or is it was it just a series of happy accidents? And how much of that does it, or does it matter that I? And by can't the way, like, like a lot of the stuff that John is talking about is stuff that the kids have sort of pulled out of us from when we read that book to them. I mean, right. I I was pretty sure uh, about my answer to that last question in Square uh, on the day that the book was published. And, and now I don't know what I think. That's because of the talks that we had with kids. Like we, we, <laughs> we would just be looking at each other up there when they'd be, when they would be answering this question. And, and, and like, I, we could, I, I could see it in John's face. I'm sure you could see it in mine. Like uh, our minds were being changed. And they can tell that, too. I think that kids yeah. can tell when they have someone in the room who isn't just like sort of playing to them and placating them. They can tell that we're stumped and we I, don't really know how to plus can. whatever they just said. There's yeah. such a delight in that space. There's such a del- delight in knowing that you're not getting a preloaded answer. I mean, that's something that to have that experience in front of children uh, is something that you, you get to witness. And I feel like it's that vulnerability that you're showing that also gives them gives them a chance to show you the way. And that's a really cool thing for a kid to be like, I'm going to show this adult a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of my knowledge that maybe they'll take with them. Yeah, you know, and that's why I love books. It's That's that place. That's what books do. Books are a place for questions, not for answers. Answers are just cheap morals. And that's 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 running a book in low gear, you know? Uh, that, that's that's not why I came to books. And, and it's not why I, I love books today. So... Are you able then to, <laughs> with that kind of confidence, Mac, <laughs> are you able to not um, fall down that, that pit of questioning as you write your stories? Are you, are you at a place or do you experience a place with your books where, um, where you know it's being published and 
you don't have it all figured out because the kids, the readers have still some truths to discover in that story. Well, I guess like the goal is the pit. Like uh, mm. you want to, you you want to make something that that has room in it for the reader to come in and interpret. Um, meaning is is something that is created um, in 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 collaboration between John and me and a reader. Um, it's not it's not something that John and I hide in a book to to be to be prized out. Yeah. Huh. My goodness. I, I, I'm glad that the two of you are who you are to make these books for children because it, uh, because I think that as you write, as you, uh, for writers that maybe don't have as much experience being in touch with, with their actual readers, I think that there can be a, a feeling of wanting to cover it all because you only have this one book. And if you don't, cover everything you might not get a chance to say what you want to say uh i think that's that's something that we've or at least i've gotten uh, i definitely know what you're talking about and i think that once you get a few books in you begin to loosen up and you stop doing that to yourself because it will freeze you up because you these books are so precious and and our idea of them is so precious and the whole thing is so filled with nostalgia because you read these kinds of books when you were kids and so you know what really good ones can mean to you and so you just put all of that onto these books but once you've made a few of them, it's not that you think any less of them, but you come to understand that the really good ones were also done with a certain amount of looseness. And you have to just dedicate your thoughts to what the book itself is going to be and not think it has to hold all of that stuff. It can't. It can't. You it's know, not going to. And in any way, it's, um, it's not the point of the book. The book no. isn't supposed to. It's not supposed to. These ones are definitely not supposed to educate anybody on anything specific. They're supposed to. <laughs> Um, they're supposed to sort of illustrate the characters and sort of show how they interact with each other. And you can take what you want from those things. But hopefully our goal is at the end that you have a place that you want to hang out and you have characters who you can kind of come to understand what they're going to do. See, yeah, you know, them. like Margaret Wise Brown, uh, it, it was great when I was researching that picture book about her, I got to go to Bank Street to their archives and, and, they were all of her evaluations. She was training to be a teacher at, at Bank Street, uh, like a progressive experimental uh, school in New York City. And she was training to be a teacher. Uh, and her evaluations always were like, you know, she's not a great teacher, but she <laughs> really knows how to talk to kids. She, we love having her in the classroom. Um, and, and she writes this great uh, sort of thesis uh, on called, called Writing for Five-Year-Olds when she's uh, on her way out there. And, and there's a sentence in it that really knocked me over where she just says, she's talking about writing for kids and what it means to write for kids. And, and she says, teaching is something different. And that, like, that's it. And John just said it right there too. I mean, I love teachers. That's a great job. That is a noble job. That is not our job. We have a different job. And, and that's a great thing about a library and a school is it's a, it's a place where you can go and think about questions and things that happen in the library that don't happen anywhere else in school. And, and I'm glad that there is a classroom and, and I, I think that there also should be a library. There, there are two different places with two different purposes.
Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Little Feminist Book Club. Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each month they send one to two books featuring characters of underrepresented backgrounds, and Little Feminist spends months consulting with a team of educators, librarians, and parents to pick each book and create a suite of hands-on activities to accompany them. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER for $5 off when you order or click on the link at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast and get started today. Raise good humans one children's book at a time. Well, I love that <laughs> you you came out with three shape books, which whenever we talk about shape books, we're talking about concept books. And yet you have these three shape books that are like pure abstract concept books. <laughs> which is <laughs> kind of the greatest. Um, I I want to talk to John. You brought up about timeless looks and feels of stories. And I have to say with, with these three in particular, it feels, they feel to me uh, to be influenced by the work of Leo Leone. And that could just be me putting that onto them. But I feel like the, the way your art has uh, like a, a a printer or stamped quality to it the way the textures are just so and are are so constrained to really some earth tones and water every once in a while um and just to the way mac that i love especially as you're talking about form i love in triangle the way that the text seems to be like laid out and then backtracked there's a lot of text laid out and then following structure um, followed back as the characters uh, retrace their steps. And there's language like that that, that follows form in these three. Um, and it was just, it, it was a design quality in both the writing and the text, or in the illustration, that I really thought was beautiful. And I also thought <laughs> that, um, John, for you to get away with like, I don't know, six, seven pages of just like black pages with white eyeballs was pretty amazing <laughs> that was the idea for that for that sale sequence is like let's the, ter- the term get away with is is not far off from what i was thinking about too let's see if we can get away with it <laughs> uh, i think the leo leone reference is 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 pretty is is a good one though i don't i didn't look at his stuff i often don't look at his books for long stretches because it's so close to like some sort of idealized version of a lot of what I'm picturing. And then I go back afterwards and I, I remember having to put all his books about fish away when I was working on yeah, my yeah. book about fish, just cause I didn't, I didn't want that approach. I, I was going to rip like swimming is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. This one, I think swimming and inch by inch, inch by inch works uh, sort of like this one geographically where it's like, it almost looks like a side scrolling video game. And that's what we were sort of thinking about, at least for the first book um, is this idea of like the world evolving as he moves left to right across sort of a connected uh, panorama of, of a landscape. And so inch by inch kind of works that way, at least at the beginning, where it's like this low um, horizon and big things kind of coming out of it gradually. Um, I, I love the setup of that book. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I think too of of books like, what is it called? Petsacoddle, Petsa something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that as well. I mean, this is just, this was his life's work too, to tap into that. I, um, so I think through reading circle Mac, I found this, this beautiful, quiet character that I realized all along I've seen in my students so often. 
Um, and so I wanted to stop and nod to that. I was deliberately bringing up those questions you asked in each of the ends of the books um, because I so much love what the final question does in Circle in this story for those that have not yet read it. Um, the three characters are going to play a hiding game, a hide-and-seek game, and Circle says there's only one rule. You can't go in the cave behind the waterfall. And Triangle just Im- <laughs> immediately goes into the cave behind the waterfall. I love even that Square doesn't even doesn't even try to hide. Just Circle opens her eyes, and Square's just like, yeah, he went into the cave. Um, but in that cave, we we meet another pair of eyes that are mistaken for Triangle and end up not being that. And I like that the space you save in this story is not for fear, but for compassion, for Circle wondering who that might have been in there, what kind of shape it was in there, um, and picturing what shape it may have been. It brought me back, Mac, to our conversation about Leo, a ghost story. Do you remember when we talked about Leo? Uh, I remember that we talked about Leo. <laughs> so here's a thing. Here's a thing that you probably said to every school you saw, but it was something that stuck with me too because 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 of the truth of the experience in it, which is that you said when you read Leo to classes of children, that that opening spread that says something along the lines of "This is Leo. He's a ghost. Um, people can't see him, but you can." Right. And it's a spread that has uh, that Christian Robinson has 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 shown nothing on page on first spread, and then you flip it, and all of a sudden there's Leo the ghost on the on the on the page turn. But the kids swear that they can see Leo before Leo's there, right? That's right. Truth. Yeah, yeah, on the page where he's not. Right. And yeah. I, what I remember you saying is that you believe them. That of course they can see this character. Um, it reminded me then in the end of this book where you, your question that you leave it is um, where, where the characters are questioning, closing their eyes and picturing what shape may have been in the cave. You write, if you close your eyes, what shape do you picture? And I bring that up in that space you've saved for your readers, because as I've read it to children, my own included, they can't not call out a shape. Which yeah. is so yeah. wonderful. I'm yeah. like, you see a shape. You, in your mind, know the shape that you see. Yeah. I just love it. I just love it. It's so good. Jonah, by the way, sees a rectangle. He's sure it's a rectangle. Oh, God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, for, for whatever intention was behind um, any of the ways you shape these characters and the way you you hope that that readers would see themselves in these books. Uh, I think where I'm coming at this entire conversation with the both of you is just to tell you how beautiful I think it's been, how much I've delighted in how, how my readers have interacted with these books and what it's given back to me as the person reading to them. That was something wholly unexpected and really, really beautiful. So to end on, on this third in the, the series asking, what can you see? Um, just leave space for them to tell so many more stories, which is just exactly wh- where as a, as a librarian, I want to leave them as well. So thanks for the way you both designed and, and, and did this and pulled it off because 
it's just it's just wonderful. Thank you. Oh yeah, thanks for thanking us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you intentionally went into this thinking, how can we make librarians and parents really feel awesome at the end of our books? <laughs> the first one had a jerk, the second one had someone questioning their, their brilliance, but the third one, you're gonna feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Maddie, did you? Can I ask you? Can Can we come back to that a little bit? Like, were you sort of hung up on the first book when Triangle didn't change? Can't like, what, what okay, was that so, a hang up for you? Absolutely, yeah. So I read, <laughs> and this is yeah. I'm great. I mean, this is like, so yeah. So I talked to, I, I've talked to like John when you did your uh, hat trilogy. We talked throughout each book, and I remember just how fun it was to reflect on these conversations that we had them over each book, these three I read without ever talking to you. I haven't talked to either of you, I think, since they came out. Um, and the when I first read Triangle, the first read I was like, what is this? I'm so angry that, like, there's a book about a person that can get away with being a jerk and then we're done? Where's the retribution? I've had people be triangles to me and it's not fair that there's not retribution. And then I was like, oh, okay, never mind, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that too hopefully the tone of them of all three of them I think assumes that because I think that it, you're, you're wanting retribution kind of assumes that it's the only chance he'll get for it that it's the only chance the audience would get for it but if yeah. you treat it episodically if we treat it totally episodically and hopefully that what we strike is the idea that this is this is you know a, a two hour event in the course of what is a lifetime between these two guys. Um, and there's lots of retribution back and forth every day. I mean, there um, is that's... right in the book, Matthew, I would just say, like, I mean, <laughs> Triangle ends up stuck in his own house, afraid of the afraid dark. Of the dark. Yeah. There, there's retribution, there's just not reformation. And, and not, uh, not every story is, is Saul on the road to Tarsus, right? Like, uh, <laughs> that, that can't be every story, because that's... That's not every day in our lives. That's not every day on the playground. That's not every day in the office. That's not I every day you. in the teacher's lounge. I hear you. Um, it doesn't no, mean that I, I can't be like, pissed I, off that that was a feeling that I was like, that's me. And that dumb jerk and I'm stuck in the triangle door opening. And No, I'm happy that you're saying this because I know we piss people off with our books, but nobody ever says it to our face. So thank you. Oh, so good. It was really, I mean, I mean, the way that I've had such a strong emotional feeling to all of these has been, I, that's really been for me the most, I don't know, like confusing or bewildering or humbling thing, Mac, because I mean it sincerely when I say that feeling that I was left with, with Square was deep sadness. And I don't, I'm, it, I, I can only explain it as I'm putting myself onto these characters and that's that's beautiful and revealing but it just m made me feel like after i read square i was like i really got to be easier on myself and i mean that i need to like not let you know accept a compliment and not not try to excuse <laughs> it away uh but, well, um, yeah, I mean, I think that like, I mean, we all these the, all these emotions and, and I like there is this mammalian instinct to like make a kid laugh, make a kid smile. But if we're relentlessly trying to do that with our books, we're we're going to become that uncle at Thanksgiving who's telling jokes too loud and just freaking the kids out, you know, <laughs> uh, 
children's literature should have all of the emotional variety of literature for adults. Um, and there can be books that bring pure joy, but but books that confound us or make us angry at the unfairness of the world or that they make us a little sad. That's that's also the job of literature. It's it's to it's to explore all of these emotions. Yeah. Yeah. You're I mean, you're not wrong. I think maybe what also is uh, what also maybe caught me so much off guard on that is that it just it was so different from most of what I read, which then makes me feel that I wonder if most writers feel like they don't want those are hard feelings to be left with right the it's a good feeling to be left with to question to reflect to think about the world to not have things tidy to um all of that is good but we just there just aren't there isn't like an abundance of books that that that's happening with which I think makes it um hit a little bit harder the fact that there's not many other books that are doing this makes you think like, oh, I haven't had a chance to think about myself this much recently. <laughs> I think I said a little while ago in some other thing that like in describing the characters that they, they we want them to seem like friends or people that know each other. And in that, that they let each other down sometimes too, which is, I think, a good way to put it. They're not bad. When, when they're when they're bad they're not displaying some sort of like evil villainous side they just it's triangle going behind the waterfall he's just letting them down he can't help it necessarily it's his first impulse but it's just kind of disappointing um and that happens all the time to kids kids are let down by their friends and by their you know parents and by everybody um like all the time and so something that reflects that without them without the book treating it like a meteor has hit the world. Do you know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the three of them kind of take it in stride. They're not going to break up. They're just going to deal with it. And that I think is pretty true to your experience too. With kids, they're often put into places where they don't have the option of like leaving people behind. They're in class with them. They're, they're, they're not in control of who's surrounding them at all. And so you are dealing with friends and stuff that circumstantially you're making friends because you're in so-and-so's class or you're on the bus with them every day or whatever it is. You're not really controlling who's around you. And so, yeah, I think that when 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 uh, when when children's books are are sort of relentlessly chirpy or every problem is is solved, then a kid who whose life is full of the frustration and sadness that John's talking about, and and who's who at the end of the day goes home with their problems unsolved, um, they're going to feel alienated from those books. There's nothing there's nothing on the on the shelf that's reflecting their emotional experience. I think that I think that you're you're hitting the nail on the head and I think that that's probably also why I've reacted to them the way that I have because I mean literally as I'm hearing you talk I'm just reflecting on why didn't I feel like I had friends that that I could just go on with and like it's okay they're just like busting my chops I realized that I <laughs> sort of was shaped to be almost so unrelentlessly sensitive to things and I think that this is, there's a stability here that that you're reminding us of. That these three friends, as you said, they're they're stable. They're not going to leave each other. They just are different to each other. And there's a dynamic there that the three of them are fine with. They just annoy each other every once in a while, or they, um, yeah, they they just have a dynamic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's something that John. I mean, <laughs> I you've know. talked about that. That that like that. 
I mean, uh, you know, they're they are friends, but they're they're part of the reason they're friends is just their proximity to each other, and it's hard to be around other people, and and that's what school is. You get stuck in a class, and 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 maybe your best friend from second grade. Uh, you end up in in different classes in third grade, and and now you're, well, you're around these people. You'll see your best friend at lunch, maybe, or after school. But but suddenly you have to figure out how to get along with this new group. Oh, see, um, I like that a whole lot more. They're classmates. They're not friends. They're classmates. Well, it's like we've talked about this. In, in this, that's the first time I think we've talked about the classmate idea. But it's also sort of like where we're interested in the dynamic of neighbors talking to each other in their driveways versus people who have chosen to be best friends. And people mm. who have chosen to be best friends, there's lots of overlap and there's lots of like common interests and you've chosen to hang out with that person. There's a chemistry that you both understand, but there's also a certain kind of conversation that happens between two people or three people who live on the same street and just see each other on their walks to the mailbox or something like that. And what is that conversation like? And if one guy makes the other one mad, the other guy can't go all out in retribution because he has to wake up next to him in the next house every day too. You have to sort of, you have to keep this world going. You can't just let loose. And so, um, but that feeling of like, of circumstance rather than chosen friends, because that was never, we don't, we're careful and it might be spoiling it, but we're careful never to say the word friend in this thing. Except in the last book when circle, that's uh, true, bad friend. It, That's but true. as a negative. But as, as a negative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we only use the word friend to shame others. <laughs> well, no, but you know what? Like Circle Who we see, she has such balance, right? She's she is an optimist, like you say. But but Triangle does something really dangerous. And and she flips and she says, Why are you such a bad friend? And like it's not like I if if we I know you were joking, Matthew, but if you say shame, like like that that imputes a motive onto her that that she just doesn't have. If you if you take a walk through recess, you'll hear things just that harsh and harsher. And and the kids who say those things, like they don't deserve our opprobrium. They they deserve books that reflect their time at recess. Right. Yeah. yeah. Recess, where you're stuck out there with potentially no one you like for 45 minutes before you get to go back inside and sit next to whoever it was that you didn't like also. Like it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way, but it is, I think, for a lot of kids. And I think that you're talking about being like super sensitive about things. I think that most kids are. It's just that they have different ways of whether they're going to let on or not. And so you're banking on that, I think, with a lot of the storytelling. It's like, is everyone going to recognize this? And when they do, you find out that most people are feeling this stuff. It's just that not a lot of them are saying so. And and I actually think that that um, that that sort of unambiguous, unalloyed sunniness is is the height of insensitivity to to kids' emotional states. I can believe that. I think that there's so much that we all put ourselves onto with characters and, and, and try to extract meaning from, from our interactions with others and from what we read and from, from how we're just trying to be that, um, that in that way, I'm grateful that your, your books can be what they are. Um, that the fact that even that I threw out the word shame with circle, I think is indicative of 
again of of my reaction to all three of these and how how I did see myself and how I did see my emotions playing out. And it gives me space to unpack that. Um, because what I also saw in in what Circle said was was as I said, the space that she gives for 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 looking at the unknown with kindness um and with with seeking to understand. Yes, right. And and we know at the end that Square is just out there just picturing a big old snake shape with a couple of eyes. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's right. That's what I mean, that's one thing that book three is really about. Circle is about it, how we approach the unknown, certainly. And 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 um you know, and, and when Circle says that, she she feels bad immediately, as we do when we take things too far. And Triangle, of course, only hears the good part about himself and, and, <laughs> and just takes the compliment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's been quite a pleasure to talk to you both. And thank you for the the insight and thoughts and reflections you brought, not only to these books, but to this conversation. I really appreciate that. There were a lot of things that uh, you challenged in our conversation that are causing me to to look even even more so in a different way to these books and that's something I really appreciate. Um, yeah, you, you... Thanks for giving it the space to, to, to do that. That's really nice. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for bringing this stuff up with us and having the conversation. <laughs> Thanks for giving me a platform to say you made me angry with your first book. <laughs> we like that. Nobody ever does that to us. They just sit there and seethe. Let it out, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, man, it's the, you can't just let it out if you're not a person that lets it out. This is, we're all, we put ourselves onto these things. Uh, yeah, it looks like you could. Looks like you could be. You could use to be a little bit more like triangle. No, don't you tell me oh, who I no. need to be like. That's such a triangle <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> Mac, I appreciate the uh, past thirty minutes of therapy I've had with you. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My uh -oh. my bill is forthcoming. No doubt. <laughs> um, before we do that, let me. Um, leave you both with a, a question a chance to have last word with our readers with your readers and those that i'll see tomorrow mac i'll start with you i'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning is there a message i can bring to them from you all right i'm gonna you know in the spirit of candor that we are have engaged with this whole conversation matthew after all of my appearances here this question always stresses me out so much because <laughs> because uh, the thing that I, I want to share always is just the book, which, as we talked about, doesn't have a message. It has a meaning that's created. And, and, and so I'm always trying to come up with something good here. But it, it, it often feels kind of antithetical to who I am as, as someone who speaks to children. Uh, like, if I had a, a great sentence, I'd be in the aphorism business and not the story business. And I'm in the story business, so just, I, if you, you know, if you want to read, if they haven't heard them too many times, just read kids one of the stories. I'm currently in the business of looking up the word aphorism. <laughs> that's kind of an aphorism, John. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's useful. Yeah. All right. Anyway, John, what's your message? John, I'll see a library <laughs> full of children tomorrow morning. What, what message can I bring to them from you? Um, your favorite book now is going to be your favorite book for a long, long time. I think I always try and sort of 
hedge around that kind of idea where I was, I've been surprised that so much of what I carried from the age that they're at into adulthood has just stayed so clear. I don't, I think that they think that they might be different people when they get older and they're not going to be. Um, and that includes the things that they're interested in writing about and reading about and books that hit you a certain way when you're that age have to do with who you're going to be when you're much older. And it's, and that surprised me. It continues to surprise me. Even reading books now to my kids and thinking like, I still like this and I can find why. And I can, I can see where this informs my work, even though I haven't seen this book in 20 years. Um, there's, there's, you're being, you're already finding out who you are um, and who you're going to be, but really strongly. And um, that just surprised me. I don't think it's a, it's a lesson or, 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 a, or a moral. It's just a cool thing that I keep being reminded. Matthew, if I could change my answer, I just like, <laughs> I just like to tell those kids that your favorite book now is going to be your favorite book for a long, long time. That's really good. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlin. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Corina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. 
So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.